back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Rachel. Good morning, everybody. Um, It's great to be here with you this morning. I, I am very excited as we come to this passage of Scripture because as Pete said this morning, I don't believe it's an accident that we come to John 14 after SWEC uh, Renewal Day. Uh, and and that, that's exciting to see how God brings things together. It's also a bit uh, inconvenient and a bit scary for me because I had prepared this sermon 
before SWEC Day uh, and um, this morning I was thinking that, that I think that uh, God actually wants us to hear some, something a little bit different to what I'd prepared. Don't worry, it's, don't, don't freak out. I'm not going to leave my notes, throw my notes away and, um, and uh, just say anything. But it may get a little bit messy towards the end. That's all I'm saying, so just be prepared for that. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Um, Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Uh, we thank you that, uh, for your word and that you speak to us through it and that through your spirit you empower it uh, in our lives. Uh, and we thank you for your spirit that he dwells in us and in him we have the fullness of God living in us. Uh, please show us uh, what that means for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, being left alone, away from someone we love and depend on, can be a frightening prospect. Um, sometimes it's totally un- unexpected and we're unprepared for it. Like the time I was left waiting after soccer training as a kid. Uh, I was probably about seven or, or maybe eight years old. Uh, Dad, the plan was for Dad to come and pick me up. Uh, it was getting later and later. I was waiting, waiting. No Dad. It was getting cold and dark. Eventually, some kindly neighbour uh, took my brother and I in, thinking that we were these uh, poor lost kids who'd been completely abandoned by their parents. Uh, well, eventually, Dad did find us. Uh, he didn't forget us. He was just held up buying machinery parts or some such thing. Uh, it must run in the family because many years later... Um, I went one better and forgot one of my boys completely. Uh, we, were, we were living in the country at the time, about 30 k's out of town. Um, Julie sent me with the instructions to go into town and pick up my son. I can't remember whether it was Doug or Bill. Um, <laughs> and uh, I, I went into town. I must have done something. And then I got home and Julie looked at me and said, where's... Where's your son? Um, oh, yeah. Um, so I had to go back and get him. He was amazingly um, composed about being left behind, as I recall. But Jesus' disciples in John 14 weren't so composed about the idea of Jesus leaving them in John 14. Their Lord and Master had just announced that he was going away and they'd be left alone. But this chapter is a word of comfort for Jesus' disciples and for us because he tells them that even though he's going away, it's for his benefit and that they won't be left alone because his Father will send the Holy Spirit to guide them and to remind them of the truth that Jesus taught them. Not only that, but after Jesus rises from the dead and goes to the Father, he will then come to us and be in us and we will be in him. Um, You might like to follow along on your outline. It's in the the bulletin. Uh, I've got uh, three points that you can see there. Um, Please have your Bibles open because we will be be, um, depending on that um, as we go along. There are three points based around the idea of movement in John 14. 
going and coming. And I think that captures what this chapter is about. The first part is about Jesus going away from his disciples. Firstly, he's going to be taken from them to be condemned and crucified. But then he'll come back for a short while after rising from the dead. But then the direction of the movement changes from going to coming. Jesus will go, but the Holy Spirit will come in his place. God's presence will come with him. And finally, we're told that the movement will turn the full circle and Jesus will come and be present in his disciples and live with them. So that's where we're going this morning. Our passage starts off... Why isn't this working? There we go. Uh, passage starts off with Jesus telling his disciples that he is going to prepare a place for them. And that's our first point. Have a look with me at verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled, Jesus says. You believe in God, believe also in me. That also could be translated, as you have believed in God the Father, believe in me. So the emphasis is on believe in me as you have believed in God. Because I have God's authority, I have God's power, in fact I am God. He goes on, my father's house has many rooms. If that, that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Would I not have told you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know, verse 4, the, play, the way to the place where I'm going. These are words of comfort. Don't be troubled. Don't worry. But why would they be troubled? It doesn't tell us in, verse, in chapter 14. To answer that, we need to look at the context of what Jesus is saying. In the section right before this, the end part of chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples that he is going away. He's leaving them. He knows that very soon he's going to be arrested, he's going to be betrayed, arrested and tried, sentenced and crucified. He doesn't spell that out here. He just says that he is going away and his disciples won't be able to follow him. If you've got your Bibles open, have a look with me at the end part of verse 13, chapter 13, verse 37. Jesus says, or sorry, Peter asks, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. As usual, Peter speaks up on behalf of the disciples with that bold statement, I will lay down my life for you. Then verse 38, Jesus replies, will you really lay down your life for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you will disown me. So why are the disciples troubled? They're troubled because they don't have a clue why Peter's going to deny Jesus. Peter, the one who is kind of their representative, the, the, the rock, he is the um, de facto leader of the disciples, going to deny Jesus. What kind of disaster is going to happen? What's going to become of them? Are they also going to be um, denied Jesus? Are they also going to be left alone and so Jesus wants to comfort them 
reassure them. And he does that by telling them that he's not abandoning them, but he's getting a place ready for them so that to be with the Father and also with him. So verse 2, in my Father's house there are many rooms. There's plenty of room. That's where I'm going to prepare a place for you. And notice not only will the disciples be with the Father because Jesus says it's his house. Verse 3, Jesus tells us that he will take the disciples there that you also may be where I am. The Father, Jesus the Son and Jesus' followers, us, living together. Then Jesus says in verse 4 something that seems a bit strange to us. You know the way to the place where I am going. You can also almost see the disciples' brains ticking over at this point. Jesus has told us he's going to the Father. We don't know where he's going. Sorry, we don't know where that is. And he said that we can't follow him. What's going on here? Thomas is the one who speaks up. Verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Well, Jesus answers with one of the most well-known passages, uh, verses in the whole Bible. Uh, and that's the subhead, first subheading under point one. Jesus is the way to get there. I am the way and the truth and the life, Jesus says in verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. The emphasis here is on Jesus being the way. The disciples are thinking of some mysterious place that they don't know about. They believe in God the Father, but they've never seen him. They have no idea how to reach him. Thomas seems to think that it's some place far away and they need Jesus to give them some kind of a map, directions to get there. But Jesus says, no, they don't need a map. There's a story told of a missionary in northern Africa who had to make a journey across the Sahara Desert. Uh, he didn't know the way to get there, but he got a local Bedouin tribesman to be his guide. After leaving a village uh, where there was some kind of a track and, and sense of a road, they run out of road and all that's ahead of, the, of, of them is a vast expanse of sand. That's where you're going, his guide says. At this point, the missionary gets kind of worried because it, there's no sense of, of how to get there. Don't worry, says the guide, I am the way, meaning that he would lead him there. Jesus is the way to the Father. But he's more than that, because have a look with me in verses 7 to 9. Reading from verse 7. If you really knew me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, "Show us, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been with you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And here's our second sub-point. Jesus isn't just the way, but he's also the destination. If you know me, you know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The disciples wanted to know how to get to the Father. Jesus makes it clear that it's through him 
And it's only through him because Jesus is one with the Father. Jesus is God the Son. The Father, his Father, is God the Father. Now, this is one of the clearest passages that we have in the whole Bible about how we can find God and know him and, and get to him. It's very common for people these days to talk about a spiritual journey, isn't it? The idea of kind of travelling um, traveling to find God or whatever idea people have of God. Many, many Aussies um, go on spiritual journeys or pilgrimages to places like India, uh, Southeast Asia, to find God or spiritual enlightenment. And that often goes with a belief that the spiritual journey may not be a single road and there may not even be a certain destination. It's kind of fuzzy. But that often goes hand in hand with a belief that um, the final destination may not be certain and it's actually the journey that it's, that it's the important part. Have you heard people say that? The, the idea that they're finding themselves or, or, or that kind of language. Um, it's not certain where they're going and, and the destination is actually secondary to the journey itself. Now, I can understand that there's something quite appealing in that, the adventure of the journey. Uh, we, can, we can really follow whatever road we want. There are no demands from, from some set of laws. There, there's no religious tradition that, that, that may threaten to stifle our sense of, of, of expression of spirituality. But the problem is that Jesus' words make it very clear that there is one road and there is one destination. And he is both. There is no other way. No alternative maps. No other gods to find. No other means of spiritual enlightenment or to find spiritual truth. So Jesus wants his disciples to understand that he is going to the Father, but they won't be abandoned because they will also be with the Father. And it's through Jesus that they'll get there. It's not a matter of going on a journey to some place because Jesus is the place. He is the final destination. Through Jesus, they know the Father. And we know the Father. And then Jesus assures them that he will continue to work through his disciples. And that's our third sub-point. Have a look with me at verse, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus leaving the physical, by trusting in Jesus, we can continue to do Jesus' work, we're told here. In fact, Jesus says that we can do even greater things than what Jesus did while he was on earth. What do, what, what, I wonder what that means. I don't think it means that we will do more spectacular things than Jesus. It would be hard to trump that, right? Um, Jesus raised the dead. 
on um, a couple of occasions. Um, I, I don't think it means that we do that. Uh, I don't think it means that we do more spectacular miracles or healings. We'll come back to what that might mean, but a clue that can help us is to work out why we can do greater things than Jesus. It's there at the end of the verse 12 where Jesus says, because I am going to the Father, then you can do greater things than me. Jesus leaving the physical world and returning to the Father enables him to do something that empowers all believers in a way that Jesus could not do while he was here on earth. And that's our second point. Jesus goes so that someone could come in his place and that's the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. Now verse 15 signals a shift in the kind of direction um, and the emphasis of our passage from going, Jesus going to the Father, to coming, the Holy Spirit coming from the Father. Well, what, what do we learn about the Holy Spirit in this passage and, and what he does? We learn a couple of things. One is that he continues the work of Jesus. Have a look at verse 16. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be, be in you. He will give you another counsellor, the spirit of truth. Jesus seems to be saying that the first counsellor, that, sorry, that he was the first counsellor, and now the Father will send another counsellor. So at least in the sense of guiding, counselling, teaching, the Spirit performs the same role as Jesus. And Jesus calls him the Spirit of truth. Remember back in verse 6 where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. So the same thing is true of the Spirit. He is also the truth. So there's a link between the work of Jesus, the person of Jesus... And the Holy Spirit. Secondly, he teaches us and reminds us what Jesus has taught his disciples and taught us. Have a look at verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Very clear there. That the role of the Spirit is to teach you all things and remind you of Jesus' work what he taught and what he did. And that work he does of teaching and reminding of Jesus' words leads to obedience. It's not spelled out by Jesus, but there's a strong connection in the way Jesus associates obedience with the Spirit's coming. If you glance over the section between verses 15 to 26, you'll see the Spirit is mentioned in verse 17 and then in verse 26. Can you see that? It's kind of, it, it, it's a frame. And, and then there's something in the middle of the frame, a little bit like a sandwich. Verses 21 and 23 and 24 
Jesus talks about obedience. Can you see that? That if we love Jesus, we'll obey him. So it's pretty clear that the work of the Spirit in teaching, reminding, guiding us is leading us into obedience. So to come back to the question about doing greater things than Jesus, it's to do with having the Holy Spirit. He is with us forever, as it says in verse 16. God is able to teach us and remind us and help us to obey in a way that even Jesus could not do uh, in, his, in, his, in his physical presence while he was here for those short years on earth. He was restricted by his physical body. But now we are empowered. He no longer has that restriction in, in the spirit. We are empowered to do things that even Jesus couldn't do during his time on earth. And the, the reason why the Spirit is able to empower us in that way, why it is even better for, for his disciples, better for us, that Jesus goes so that the Spirit may come, is that the Holy Spirit is God himself. He is God himself. And when he comes to us, he's actually God himself taking up residence in us. And that's our third point. Jesus continues this idea of God's presence coming, Jesus going so that God could live in us. And I want to point out something about the structure of this whole chapter that I think points to the fact that this last point and two verses in particular that bring it home are the climax, the, the, whole, the high point of the whole chapter. I think I've got a slide here, yep. So have a look at that slide. And uh, it, I think it kind of represents the structure um, of the passage. You've got, in verse 1, you've got, do not let your heart be troubled, hearts be troubled. And then notice it appears at the end. Again, do not let your hearts be troubled. So I think John here is setting up a kind of a sandwich. The bread of the sandwich, do not let your hearts be troubled. Verse 1, verse 27. Straight away, this sets the tone up for, for, the, for the whole chapter. It's one of comfort and assurance. Then have a look at verses 16 to 17. The Holy Spirit is introduced. And then again in verse 26. You see that? More on the Holy Spirit. So the sandwich is being filled out. Um, bread on the outside, then the Holy Spirit. I, I said in my notes that like two bits of lettuce, but... I think he's a bit better than, than lettuce. Maybe a good cheese, perhaps. <laughs> but you, you know what I mean? So, so you got, do not let your hearts be troubled. Then the Holy Spirit framing, continuing to frame the passage. Um, we often find this sort of structure in the Bible. The technical word for it is called a chiasm. Um, use that at your next party. It'll impress people. What a chiasm does is, is it throws the focus onto something that's in the middle. Uh, and, and that's the case here. And it's two put verses in the middle that you can see there in, in yellow, verse 20 and verse 23. These two verses emphasise the presence of God with his people after Jesus rises from the dead. So let, let's read them. Verse 20 
John 14 verse 20 says, On that day you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Then verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. These two verses emphasise the presence of God with his people after Jesus rises from the dead. Verse 20, you'll notice Jesus says, on that day. That seems to refer to verse 19, where Jesus says the disciples will see him again. It seems a little bit confusing, all this coming and going, but what I think it's referring to is after his resurrection, he returns, well, he rises from the dead, and, and he, he is there with his disciples for, for a short time in his resurrected body before he ascends into heaven. So I think it's talking about that period between his resurrection and his ascension. Jesus is describing in these verses our relationship with him by using the same language to describe his relationship with the Father. I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Back in verse 10, he has used the same words to describe the closeness of his relationship with the Father, that Jesus doesn't just speak his own words. He speaks the words and does the work of the Father. So what's going on here is that Jesus wants to show that we have that same intimate connection with him as he has with the Father. Do you see that? He and the Father are one. He did nothing on his own. It was a relationship of love, interdependence and unity. And we are connected to Jesus in a, in a, in a very, not exactly the same, but in a very similar way. The, the, the only difference, the difference really is that instead of us and Jesus being interdependent, it's a one-way thing where we are completely dependent on Jesus. We are connected with to him in love and unity. And then verse 23 helps us to join the dots of what Jesus is doing here. We will come to him or her and make our home with them. Now it's very helpful to see here to see that the, we, we actually can't see it here in our English translations, unfortunately. But in the original language, the, the word for home is actually the same word in the original translated rooms back in verse 2. So it would sound a bit weird, but we could actually translate verse 23. We will come to him or her and make our rooms with them. So Jesus is making this connection to his father's house, preparing a place for us, and Jesus living in us. Do you see that? Now there's more to it than the father coming to live in us, full stop, because after we die, we will live with God in a different, much fuller sense in the new creation than we do in this life. But Jesus is wanting to comfort his disciples and emphasize God's presence to us in coming to us while we're still here on this earth. The movement of the passage goes from Jesus going 
to allow God to come to us. And the centre of gravity definitely falls on God coming to us as the climax, as the centrepiece for the whole passage. And that goes with a shift in the, that we see in the New Testament in the idea of God's presence. Uh, in the New Testament, um, you'll know that uh, it's different to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the idea of God's place was, was a very physical, there was a very physical sense. Uh, and it centred on Jerusalem and the temple as the place where God dwelt with his people in a very physical sense. But now, in the New Testament, Jesus replaces that. He replaces the temple. In fact, he has become the temple of God. And he has become the place where we now meet with God. And now we experience the presence of God as Jesus lives in us. Now, you may be thinking at this point, Marshall, this all seems a bit muddy, a bit of a confusing mix between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And what does it mean for, the, for, for Jesus to live and the Father to live in us anyway? Well, firstly, I think it, it sounds a bit confusing because it's describing something that's almost impossible for us to understand. And that is the way that God can be one, but at the same time three persons. And how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit relate to each other, that, that's just something that we can't get our, our puny little minds around. Uh, and, and so it does, it does sound confusing. Secondly, what Jesus describes in verse 23, we will come to him or her, make our home with them. Jesus doesn't actually spell out who the we is, who that involves. But verse 3 Sorry, three verses later, he talks about the Father sending the Holy Spirit. Can you see that? In Jesus' name. So in a, in a very short cluster of verses, he talks about all three persons of God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And I think the conclusion that Jesus leads us towards is that through the Spirit, God dwells in us. Through the Spirit, the whole of God dwells in us. In other words, there's a sense in which when the Father sends the Spirit, Jesus and the Son come and live in us too. Because when we have the Holy Spirit, we have all of God's presence. It's not somehow that we have part of God. It's not somehow that Jesus goes away and sends the Spirit as his replacement and we have like a third of God in us now with the Father and the Son out there. No, we have the fullness of God dwelling in us. So in John 14, Jesus wants to comfort his disciples. He tells them that he has to go to the Father, but it's for the benefit, for their benefit that he goes. Because in his place, he will send another counsellor, the Holy Spirit. He will come to them and he will come to us and with his, with his coming, God will dwell with us and we won't be left as orphans. Now, I want to spend, uh, I know time is getting away, I just want to spend a, a last few minutes looking at 
how this passage applies to us. And bear with me, because this could be where it gets a bit messy. Um, I think it's easy for us to see what Jesus is saying as being a bit remote, uh, a bit removed from our real life. Yes, we can understand that the Spirit comes to us and lives in us, but how do I experience that? What difference, when the rubber hits the road, does that make to me? I want to look at two ways that this passage can make a difference to our lives. One is obeying by obeying a command, and the other is by believing a promise. Firstly, the command. And it's really the only command, or at least the only one that I could find in this chapter, and it's to do with um, trusting in Jesus. Verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, believe in God, believe also in me. And verse 27, it's repeated, isn't it? Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The two go together. Trust in God, trust also in me. So remember why the disciples would have been troubled and worried? Because Jesus was leaving them. Peter was going to deny them, sorry, deny Jesus. It seemed like their world was going to fall apart. Jesus had been telling them that God would look after them and keep them in his hand even after Jesus was gone. But now they hear Peter is going to deny them, deny him. It seems that God's plans, even God's promises, are at this point a bit shaky. What could they trust in? Trust in me, Jesus says. And the sense is, as we've seen, as you have trusted in the Father, trust in me. And surely this is a word for us. News this week of the coronavirus spreading in Sydney, the first known person-to-person transmission in Australia. Sometimes it seems like things are out of control or that we're in a world where blind, random forces of chance determine who gets sick, who dies, who escapes the virus. Or that we live in a world where there just doesn't seem to be much evidence of God working or intervening. Now, as I said, I wrote this before yesterday. Um, Yesterday, I believe, for those of you at Sweet Day, we saw um, a lot of evidence of God working uh, through his spirit um, in our gathering together. Uh, it was a fantastic time, if you weren't there, uh, of seeing um, God allow us to be honest and vulnerable to each other and seeing the way that his spirit empowers not just leaders but, but the individuals, everybody, um, all of God's people to minister to each other. So... We saw yesterday, and there are times like that when we we are able, by God's grace, to see real evidence of God's working. But then, after Sunday comes Monday, after Sweck Day, we go to work, or we go to uni, or whatever. And there's the possibility that we come crashing down to earth a bit 
and that we return to see a world where sin and evil seem to go on their merry way, where we see the rich and powerful get away with corruption and treading on the heads of the poor. But Jesus says to trust in him as we trust in God. Trust in his plans to prepare a place for us. That he has our future in, our hand, in his hands. And the way the passage unfolds is that Jesus, in effect, says that the evidence of his care for us and him looking after our future is in his presence uh, with us here now on earth in having his spirit dwell in us. And this leads to our second point of application that is taking God at his promise. Look at verse 21 with me. Verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. God is present with us. Every believer has his spirit living in us. But here Jesus is talking about being especially aware of that presence of God. God revealing himself to to us. And notice that it is associated with obeying. Remember before we made the connection between the work of the Spirit and obedience. And here we see it again. As we obey, as we do what he says, he reveals himself to us. When we take Jesus at his word, it's not saying that God... Sorry. This isn't saying that God's presence or his love are conditional. That he only comes to us when we obey. No, no, it's not saying that. It's saying that we see him more clearly when we obey. It's saying that, that uh, let me suggest how it works. Uh, picture a typical day in the Scott household. I'm tired and turning into a zombie after a big day's work. Some disaster has just occurred and uh, one or more of the members of the family are in meltdown. Uh, I can respond in two ways. One, as I often do, by either ignoring the world around me falling apart uh, or I can join the party and have a meltdown as well. Uh, that's one way of responding. Alternatively, if I quietly pray for strength and patience and try to deal with it calmly and in a godly way, the, the, the problem may, not, may or may not be solved but I will come out of it seeing God come through for me in the way that he gives me patience and strength. I can see his grace in the fact that he has helped me to be self-controlled and that I haven't murdered anyone. In those things, we see the quiet, everyday work of the Spirit. We saw the amazing work of the Spirit yesterday. Uh, uh, during Sweat Day, and uh, we're praying that, that we will see much more of that, um, especially as we gather together, um, but in CGs, in, in lots of other ways too. But there will be, the, the every, but, but then, as I said, Monday comes. The everyday grind comes. And it's in the quiet, everyday ways that God gives us perseverance grace, strength, that we see the presence of God. For you, it may be seeking to obey God in the way you look after your sick parents. It may be in being a good witness at work. 
in serving a friend during a crisis. As we obey, as I said, it doesn't mean that things are going to be put right or all our problems solved. But Jesus' promise is that he will show himself to us. That can be seen in seeing God's grace, strength, patience, forbearance, love. It may be by seeing the truth of the gospel reinforced as we share the gospel with our friends. If they respond to Jesus, then praise God, we see God working in their life. If they don't respond to Jesus, we may equally see the truth in the gospel in the way that he, is, he blinds the hearts of unbelievers. We have the reality of the gospel reinforced as we step out and, obedient, and, and are obedient Seeing God at work through us. Sometimes in the, in the amazing, spectacular ways. Probably more often in the ordinary, everyday, unspectacular ways. Having patience when you could easily blow your top. Having joy when life seems to suck. Having peace in a world around us that is in turmoil. That's the work of his spirit. That's what it looks like to have God dwell in us. To have that quiet perseverance that keeps on trusting in God when you're tired, when you're weak, when you just need a break. That's what it looks like to have God's presence. Amen. I'll need this. Thank you. <clears throat> um, let's get the musos up. I know we've um, gone over time, so this, was, <clears throat> this is what's going to happen. What's going to happen is I'm not going to be able to talk. <laughs> Sorry, this is not coronavirus. I just lost my voice from yesterday. Okay, um, we're going to sing, but uh, we, have, we have gone over time, so... Uh, we want to be able to dismiss you in peace, to love and serve the Lord. On your way out, there is an offertory box. We're not going to pass the bag around because we don't want to have unnecessary contact with bags and stuff. So if you give by cash or, or if you've got a welcomers card, please pop it in there. This is your permission during the song as we sing to, to, to go if you need to. We know that some of you have schedules and we don't want to go too much over time. And today is an exception. We usually finish by 12.30. But, but... Um, I just feel like we do, we do want to give you an opportunity to respond. So during this next song, um, as people, some people need to leave, as people stand up, um, if, you, if you feel like you want to either minister to people or you feel like I need to be prayed over for something um, that God has put on my heart, maybe he spoke to me, or just something going on in my life I need to be prayed over. There's going to be movement anyway, so everyone's going to get out of their seats. I want you, um, if you want to be ministering to people, if you want this time to linger a bit longer, if you want to know how God can use you um, or, 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 or minister to you in this space afterwards like we did yesterday, um, then as some people leave, some people stay in their seats, can you come to the front? Um, I'm hoping there'll be a lot of you. 
I'm going to be involved. I'm going to move this. And we're going to just do some more time together. Do you know what I mean? All right. If you didn't get enough from yesterday, I haven't. I want more and I can't even speak. Then um, come to the front and we're going to do some response time. We were going to do it, but time ran out. So we're going to do it anyway. All right. But that's completely optional. But if you want to have a part in what's going to happen today, whether or not you were there yesterday, come to the front and, um, and let's talk through how God is going to minister to each other um, through you, through each other. Okay. So let's stand. Let's sing. Um, if you do need to leave, please feel free to leave. Um, uh, but please come to the front. Everyone get out of their seats. Get in the aisles. Come on. You don't have to stay in your... We're going to sing, but just, just, just walk. Let's go. Okay, if you want, if you want to do some ministry time, let's come up front. Don't be shy.